Okay, so welcome to our three-week series on samadhi, which is a very important aspect of practice. Uh, it's an, also a key component of the Buddhist path. And we're going to talk about how it fits into the path as well as work on it directly. We'll be exploring through teachings, guided meditations, um, reference to the suttas, and discussion and Q&A kind of activities. So I'll also offer some suggestions for how to practice in between sessions, um, which can support your getting the most out of the class. Um, so let's see. I thought we would start actually with a short meditation to help us all arrive and settle. It'll really just be five to seven minutes or so, but it can be nice to gather ourselves before we start learning. So please find a meditation posture that you can sustain for this very short time. So something that's upright, also relaxed. If you're comfortable doing so, you can close your eyes. And just sensing where you're sitting, feeling your seat against the cushion or the chair or whatever is supporting you. Perhaps on the next out breath, softening whatever in the body can soften. Releasing maybe the shoulders, the belly. Letting go of bracing in the legs. As we gently breathe in and out, checking to see whether there's any resistance to the in-breath or resistance to the out-breath and aiming to release the resistance to a very easeful flow in and out of the breath, whether it's short or long, heavy or light, doesn't matter as long as it's unopposed. And then also softening the mind. So having a gentle touch on the experience of the breath. A gentle connection to the body sitting. If there are thoughts or emotions, a gentle touch of knowing what those are, they're fine.
You might imagine the mind gently spreading out like hands opening. Experience slipping pleasantly through the fingers of the mind. You feel it, but it doesn't stick. Attention just rests with that open hand of the mind. It's easy just to stay there and let the other things move by. Okay, so samadhi, this word that we've probably heard in the teachings, and we'll look later at some of the lists that it appears in, because it appears frequently. But what, you know, what should we do with this idea, this word? It's translated in many different ways and explained in many different ways. The one I've been liking recently is undistractedness. I noticed a few people when they were giving their introductions said that they wanted to study samadhi because they were distracted. So this is undistractedness. Um, it's also sometimes said as collectedness of mind, described that way, a gathered mind where the components have been aligned and oriented somehow unification of mind, you'll see. And the one that fits the word roots is actually composure. So the word samadhi uh, in Pali, sam means together. And the adi is related to the word that the verb that means to stand. And so it means to stand together, literally. And the English word that has those same roots is composure. Calm is together and pose is to stand. So it's a pretty good definition. 
a line that's composed is somehow aligned, oriented, still, it's not distracted. Surely we're not distracted if we're composed, but it has also sort of an emotional component to it. People who are composed are balanced, stable, equanimous. I heard equanimity a couple times in the um, introductions. So I think this is a, a pretty good translation. There's none that's perfect. Of course, the most often translated term, which I'm finally getting to last, is concentration. And it's not bad. Um, if you think of the actual, what that word actually means, Concentration means having the same center, right? Concentric circles all have the same center. So a concentrated mind is something where the different parts of the mind are all centered in the same place. It's reasonable. Because um, a concentrated mind, though, the problem with that word is that most people, the image for most people is something like this. <laughs> you know, it's like narrow, zeroed in, focused, tight, you know, and maybe you've had bad experiences with your teacher in school saying, you need to be more concentrated on what you're doing. I think I heard that a few times when I was an elementary school student. So um, that's the downside of concentration or concentricness is that it can have this, um, this image. So in the end, there's a lot of words, right? In the end, samadhi is an experience. <laughs> and so uh, it's really better to know it that way. And we can maybe learn it through experience and then we'll come up with our own word that we think fits it um, based on how it is for us. So I want to talk a little bit about this, this particular session, by the way, is um, going to be about creating the conditions for concentration. You know, what is, what goes into uh, generating a concentrated mind and where does it fit on the path? Kind of an overview and beginning of how to produce it. So benefits and functions on the path for samadhi. Since this is a samadhi class and you've all chosen to come here, I'm thinking that I don't need to convince you anything about um, how useful it is or how beneficial it is. Um, this is more of an orientation. You know, what do the texts say about what this can do for us and what, it, what its function and use is? So uh, I think it's useful to know that in advance. Knowing the benefits and functions can help uh, in your development of, of samadhi. So we'll start with one that's actually kind of more Western and is not explicitly named in the suttas, but I wanted to kind of say it up front, which is that samadhi is really good for healing. It, um, it smooths out some of the rough spots in the mind, and it smooths out some of the disconnect between the mind and the body that we tend to have generated. But interestingly, um, this is, I would say, pretty minor <laughs> compared to the other benefits of samadhi. But if that's where you start, that would be great. And if that works, that would be great. So the, um, but the second, you know, major area of benefit is that um, samadhi or concentration or gathering or collectedness or unification is essential for insight. It's just absolutely needed in order to have the deeper insights on the path uh, that will come eventually. Here's a quote from the suttas. 
this is the Buddha speaking, without the concentration, that's samadhi, I'll often say concentration, without the concentration that is peaceful, sublime, gained through tranquilization and attained to unification, that one should enter and abide in liberation of mind and liberation by wisdom, that cannot be. So it's pretty clear that um, one needs, uh, that other, that's referring to final liberation. So one needs some samadhi for liberating the mind. And we're not gonna get into long debates about uh, how much you need and when you need it and what types you need. There's a lot of um, argument about that among teachers and scholars, um, which I don't think is, is so relevant for us as practitioners. But we can know from the beginning that samadhi is essential for insight because we have to be able to see clearly. Um, we'll talk more about how that's what samadhi does. So then a, a third area, it's very useful, is that samadhi reduces our attraction and our distractedness through sense pleasure. And your first reaction to that might be, what? I don't want this. <laughs> you know, I like my sense pleasures. I don't want that to be taken away. So before all that thought starts, I'll say that um, actually what happens in samadhi is that samadhi is really, really pleasant. And it's, it's better. It's better than sense pleasure. It's so clear to the mind that it's just better. And so it's kind of like when you have really, you go to a really, really excellent Italian restaurant, and then you think that the cheap Italian joint on the corner, you know, it's nice, I like the owner, but it's just not quite the same. So, you know, uh, think of this on a bigger scale. So it's not that you, um, you know, stop enjoying your life at all. That's not the case, but you'd know something better. And so when those thoughts about the Italian restaurant on the corner come up in meditation, it's very easy to let them go because <laughs> you know that where you're going is going to be better than that. So it gives the mind, you know, more flexibility, more freedom from the everyday kind of sense pleasures that we can get distracted by during meditation. It's all the distractedness is that we think those things are really interesting and important. So the appeal of worldly pleasures gets lessened in a sense, during meditation at least. So it's worth pointing out that there's also a quote about this in one of the suttas that says, this is the bliss of seclusion, the bliss of peace. I say of this kind of pleasure, that it should be pursued, that it should be cultivated, that it should not be feared. This is the Buddha talking, you know, Mr. Non-Pleasure, right? Most people think that, you know, there's a lot of this denial of pleasure in Buddhism. The Buddha says very explicitly, this kind of pleasure that, that comes through concentration practice, this should be pursued and it should not be feared. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, this kind of pleasure does not feed the underlying root in our heart of, toward greed, whereas sense pleasures stoke that a little bit. You have your favorite ice cream, your favorite whatever it is that you like, massage, I don't know. Um, all those sensual delights, if we're mindful of them, it's no problem. Just so you know, if you're mindful, it's fine. You can enjoy them. But if you're not mindful um, and you're just kind of uh, absorbed in those sense pleasures, they will feed the root of greed in the heart. And so that's worth knowing. But samadhi doesn't do that. Okay. And then... Uh, maybe one more 
benefit to mention of samadhi on the path is that it fortifies the mind in certain ways. The mind of concentration is very strong. And so, you know, in undistractedness, the mind is, it does have this kind of quality, but not in a tight way, in a very just open, powerful, present, strong way. And so it fortifies the mind um, to be able to handle the deeper insights on the path. You need to know this as you embark on a, a path like samadhi. And if you're a beginner, don't worry about it. It'll, it'll all develop as it should. But, um, you know, concentration fortifies the mind so that you can see truths that are very difficult to see, like the complete unreliability of um, everyday experience. To see a Nietzsche, an impermanence, on a very deep level is hard for the mind to see. Uh, to see suffering on a deep level is hard to see. To see emptiness, not self. We don't want to see that necessarily. But when the mind is, we think we don't at least, but when the mind is in concentration, it's no problem, actually. We can see those things, be changed by them, be happy about it, <laughs> realize that there's peace on the other side of those insights and be willing to, to step forward and have those insights. My teacher had an insight on retreat one time when he was doing an eight-month retreat, okay? So he had plenty of time to get very concentrated. His mind was very well-balanced, very healthy, very happy, very equanimous. And he, he realized that thinking is suffering, uh, which it is when you're in that state. Any kind of thought is a, is a friction in the mind. And then his mind opened and he realized, oh my gosh, the world is so caught up in thought there's a vast amount of suffering in the world. People are really caught up in their views and ideas and thoughts. And that is huge. And he opened to all of that dukkha, but it was okay because his mind was so concentrated and it changed him in a certain way. Um, softened his heart, com brought compassion. So I know I tell that story kind of abstractly, but it is useful to know that this is important uh, function of samadhi. So Richard Shankman, who wrote, by the way, a very nice book called Samadhi, um, and uh, he sums it up nicely. From, this is from his book. The concepts of letting go and non-clinging are simple. Our conditioning and habits of mind are strong, though, and it is so easy for us to get caught over and over again in our daily lives. Understanding conditioning is a necessary first step, but it is not enough. We must find a way to recondition our minds and ultimately free ourselves from conditioning altogether. It is through the power of a sustained, concentrated attention that the fruits of meditation practice are realized. So samadhi plays an essential role in mental training. I think that lays it out pretty well. So this is an important component. If you've done mindfulness practice mostly, that's great. Mindfulness is absolutely essential also, and is, you know, it helps you to see what it is that you need to let go of. But with uh, samadhi, will take you farther on the path. Mindfulness is not the only practice. There's also samadhi, there's also metta, and a number of reflective and inquiry practices. Um, so over time, we will get more well-rounded in our Buddhist practice, um, and samadhi is one, one piece of that. So we'll start to talk about the conditions then. And um, with a little bit of apology for those who are kind of not into the suttas, I'm gonna show some lists and talk about that. Um, and, and if you're not someone who relates to teachings in that way, just hang on, because after that is the 
a chance for Q&A and then the guided meditation, uh, which will be featured each time because we need a long time period to do concentration practice. There's a little more talking in this first session because I, I need to introduce things and, and teach about them. So the mind, the samadhi comes about when the conditions for it are there. It's really actually just as simple as that. It's very unmagical, unglamorous that we, the mind, will become concentrated when the conditions for concentration are created. And if they're not there, the mind can't be concentrated. Like it can't rain if there aren't clouds and the right atmospheric conditions. It just, it would be silly to look up at a clear blue sky and say, why isn't it raining? Well, it's not raining because the conditions aren't there. And so the, I also see people come into meditation and they rush in, they've parked illegally and they're worried about that and they rush into the meditation hall and they're still thinking about work and they sit down and they say, why can't I get concentrated? <laughs> so it's, you know, if the conditions aren't there, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so that's what we work on. So um, what are those conditions? Well, I thought that it's actually, this is something you can do in your own practice too, is you can look in the teachings. It's not, it's not a mystery. Um, the, the teachings actually are very clear on what the conditions for concentration is. And, so I've summed it all up on a slide instead of making you read all the suttas. Um, so let me share that with you so you can see it. I'm sorry for those on the phone. I'll also be talking through it. Okay. So this is a bunch of lists. And if you're not familiar with them, don't worry about it. But I'll, I've highlighted, let me give you kind of a tour. This is the, for example, this is the list of the eightfold path, right? View, intention, speech, action, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, and then I haven't translated the last one, samadhi. And in all the lists um, where samadhi appears in, on this one, I've highlighted it in red. So you see where it appears on the list. And then the factors often lists in Buddhism are not in an arbitrary order. So they're um, generally, I know things are nonlinear and we evolve all the things at once, but yet it does matter that some things are earlier and some are later. So we could get a clue for the conditions of samadhi by looking at what comes before it on the list. And so I've also highlighted things in particular colors that are the same on some of these key lists. It's worth knowing, by the way, that samadhi appears on almost all the key lists. It is possibly possibly the most listed or possibly the second most after energy or effort. So that's good to know. The Buddha was, you cannot read the suttas and avoid understanding that samadhi is really important and it appears in a lot of the lists. So I want to highlight um, key things off of here. So first of all, um, a speech, action, and livelihood that appear here on um, the list of the Eightfold Path these are the ethical steps of the path. This is absolutely foundational to samadhi. So if one is not living in a way that is ethical, you will be distracted. You will be agitated by that. So we have to have been speaking relatively well, you know, honestly, clearly, kindly. We have to be taking actions in our lives that are at least not killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, these kinds of things, also very agitating. And we should generally be earning our living uh, not through exploitative means. You know, it's, you don't have to be perfect. Um, samadhi develops in stages, but, um, you know, and don't 
don't get all wrapped up in that. I think everybody who's in a samadhi class and is already a meditator is doing pretty well. So, you know, don't sweat the details too much. But I just want, it's important to say that this is absolutely foundational for all of these later steps of the path, the effort, mindfulness, and concentration come about because of ethics. Okay, so then the next um, second thing that I've highlighted in these lists of the Eightfold Path, the five spiritual faculties, the seven factors of awakening and dependent arising that goes to freedom is mindfulness. We see that mindfulness appears right before samadhi in the Eightfold Path and the five spiritual faculties of faith, energy, mindfulness, samadhi, and wisdom. And it also appears at the beginning of the seven factors of awakening. It's the foundational step for all these other, all the other six factors of awakening that are listed here. So mindfulness is critical for samadhi. I don't know that it's possible to have strong samadhi without strong mindfulness or to have really strong mindfulness without some kind of concentration in the mind. If the mind is very continually mindful, it is, in a sense, gathered. It's gathered on the present moment. Um, there are a couple different kinds of concentration. One of them is concentration on one object, and that, you know, that's often what we think of. We have a single object like the breath or like a colored disc or something. We'll talk about that more next time. But another kind of samadhi is to have the mind be completely undistracted but have changing objects. So, you know, we're aware of many different things, but the mind never leaves the present moment and goes off onto a thought trail. So mindfulness and concentration really go together. Um, and that's highlighted, I think, also in these lists. Um, I want to talk, mention also energy and effort. You can see my important conditions list at the bottom here. So these are highlighted in orange. And you see also on these three lists, we have effort coming just before mindfulness and concentration. Um, and here it's a little bit earlier. So there is some degree of effort that we have to put out to bring about samadhi. Uh, it doesn't just happen by itself or um, kind of with no paying attention to what's happening in the mind, just kind of hoping that it will work or just sitting peacefully or something. Uh, there's a little bit of, you know, the conditions, the, the action of effort is to reduce unwholesome states in the mind and increase wholesome states. That's what effort refers to. It's the effort to do that. So this has to do very much with um, letting go of the hindrances, the five hindrances that block concentration. We'll talk more about those next time. Um, and also increasing some of the good qualities that support concentration. And that brings us to the next step, which on here, number four, various forms of joy, happiness, and tranquility. So you see in these second sets of lists here, the set of later ones, we have joy and tranquility right before samadhi. And on here, delight, joy, tranquility, and happiness. Again, right before concentration. So these are important. So when we make effort to reduce the unwholesome and increase the wholesome, some of what we increase is joy, happiness, and tranquility. Wonderful, happy states. So some people think they're going to get samadhi and, and bliss out because they've got the samadhi, but it's the other way around. <laughs> so you have the, the happiness and the bliss and that focuses the mind. Don't worry about it too much. If you think you're not happy and blissful, it will 
it will come about and we're going to talk about that uh, more about how that can happen and then um, finally the fifth important condition for samadhi also highlighted in two of these lists is faith that's the or confidence if you prefer that word so those are um, maybe those have different tones for you so i think of faith as being um, a sense of putting myself out there you know okay let's open to what's here and confidence has a different flavor it's like i can do this both of these are important for concentration actually if you sit down and you say well i'm a total wreck there's no way i'm going to get concentrated tonight i bet you won't <laughs> but um if you say you know i know the conditions i think if i just reflect briefly on my ethics yeah they're good bring mindfulness make an effort to let go of the distractions that are coming make some effort to gladden the mind i think it will come about and you'd be right because those are all the conditions that we're generating so I know that was kind of a whirlwind, and I'm sorry if that um, is not the learning mode that works for all of you, but I did promise it would be relatively short. So the main conditions, just to highlight for samadhi to come about, things that are worth paying attention to if you want to cultivate samadhi is your ethics, mindfulness, cultivating the ability to be attentive in the present moment, some kind of effort to let go of states that are not helpful things like wanting not wanting so things in the kind of desire and aversion category things in the restlessness and sloth and torpor category and doubts that's what counters counted by the confidence so making some effort to let go of those things and to cultivate joy tranquility happiness emphasize the parts of the experience that are um, going in a good direction and then also um, to have some faith or confidence that doing all of that will work. And then to also let go into the experience that starts to come from that. Samadhi is an unusual experience. It's a different kind of consciousness. So we have to have the faith and trust to let go into that as it starts to come. There's no magic. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And it, most people will find it takes some patience and perseverance to bring about um so i'm going to stop at this point because i've talked a lot and ask if there are questions at this point about the role of samadhi its function um, its benefits or its conditions yeah francis and then hannah you you said that it may help to reduce the the sensations, the the cravings. Mm -hmm, yeah. I've been working on taking out uh, sugar, coffee, and all mm. those things that that are like drugs for mm -hmm. for yeah. people. Will this help on doing that? It might. Um, what we take in as uh, as our food affects our whole system in, in ways and so what i would notice and there are certain things that tend to be agitating or things that tend to be calming and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that's very specific to each person and so it's hard to talk about in general 
Um, but if you have foods or ways of eating or times of eating that um, feel like they affect your ability to stay present, um, that can, you know, that can matter in meditation. So sugar and coffee and other sorts of things. Yeah, that can, and also eating right before you sit, I think is generally not a, not a good idea. Um, so to some degree, those things matter. And in samadhi practice, we do want the body to be comfortable. It's actually, it's not the same idea as mindfulness or insight where you work with those whatever conditions. <laughs> you have to create conditions for samadhi. It's a little more specific. Um, so I, I think that will maybe help guide you. So just see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's, but it is kind of specific. So I don't want to try to like put out a theory of diet. Some people have whole theories of diets that go with their meditation practice. And I, I don't want to get into all that. <laughs> okay. And then um, Hannah, you had a question. Uh, Kim, I was wondering if you could repeat the elements that counter faith. The counter faith? Well, yeah, you mentioned some things like self-doubt or some things that will get in the way of cultivating faith or confidence. Yeah, so um, doubt is certainly one. So doubts about the practice. Why am I doing this? Is this really relevant? Um, you know, I don't trust my teacher, etc. You know, these kinds of... Not all doubt is bad, by the way. It's totally fine to ask questions, to... Have, have doubts about whether, you know, pursuing a career is your favorite thing in life. You know, those kinds of doubts are good. Um, but um, doubts that uh, might fall, you know, throw us off meditation, um, those are not so good. Um, the cultivation of faith is an is a individual thing also. Um, some people will find that taking refuge is a, a great heart opener. Buddha Dharma Sangha, for others, they're not into that so much. Um, you can do reflections that will cultivate confidence, and the two main reflections that are suggested are reflecting on your own generosity and reflecting on your own ethics. This is difficult sometimes for the Western mind to think that we should think about how good we are, but it's actually encouraged in the Buddhist teachings. It's, this is not a problem in Eastern philosophy. It's really only kind of a Western problem that we think we shouldn't do that. So reflect on the fact that you are a, a giving, loving, kind, um, ethical person, you know, not to the point of inflating your ego, but because that, that will help you on the path. Those are the qualities that show you have a good mind ready for meditation. So those are helpful reflections and we'll find, we'll find our way into doing that skillfully. So those increase. Yeah, you're welcome. So Jata. I can. I think the one thing I struggle with is the right effort or right energy the most when it comes to concentration. Because I, um, I can see that it tips me off on both sides. And I realize now very painfully it has to be fine-tuned or, you know, come about with like right intention. And that, you know, I, I can't just be the, the little bit of over-enthusiasm can also tip my concentration or, you know, my mindfulness practice so it was just a comment but just to see if uh, you had any tips on that too yeah there's a fair amount of balance needed to um, bring about samadhi and the energy level there's kind of two levels i would say i like to say that the first level is the level of wanting and not wanting of you know and that disturbs the mind and then once we've settled that out a little bit there's a level of energy and there's too much too little wrongly directed 
etc. And this is another area to balance. It's a little bit like when you're doing exercise or sports, um, which also have conditions for, you know, you know, if you're, if any of you do athletics or exercise or sports, um, there are certain ways that you're going to feel good when you're doing that. You have to eat right to do that. You have to stretch. You have to, it has to be the right time of day, et cetera. And then you have to put out the right amount of effort. If you, if you're going to run 10 miles and you start sprinting for the first half mile, you're not going to make it <laughs> to 10 miles. So, you know, knowing what you're doing and having some balance, but so it can sound really complicated when we talk about this in the realm of the mind, but the analogy to the realm of the body sometimes becomes easier for people to understand. Uh, it's really no different than getting through our day with the right amount of energy, the right amount of food, etc. cetera. Um, but it's like you pointed out a little more, the, the mind has a wider range, right? It can go all kinds of places. So I understand that it's not easy, but working with this, the bringing, working with bringing about the conditions for samadhi is actually really healthy because the conditions for samadhi are also conditions that help living just in a healthy ways. So it's all good effort um, to, to do that. Yeah, but also not to get too caught up in it. You know, in the end, the mind can concentrate under all kinds of conditions. One of the main concentration teachers in this area has a um, long-standing back injury from a car accident years and years ago that was just hard to recover from. And um, she's not able to sit in one position for more than about half an hour before she needs to change in order to, su to support her back. She does high-powered jhana practice. So no excuses. <laughs> um, she's able to, she cultivated that such that she can get into it sooner than 30 minutes and shift with her body without falling out of jhana. So it's possible, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think it would be great to meditate. Oh, Helen, um, okay, if it's quick. And I'll try to be quick. What is jhanic practice? I'm not familiar. Well, yeah, we'll talk about jhana. Jhana is the subject of our next class. And so that's a particular kind of samadhi. Samadhi is a little bit bigger category. And jhana is a very, jhana states are very specific, deep concentration states. I don't think we'll attain them in this class necessarily, but we'll talk about them because often they're kind of shrouded in mystery. And I don't think we need that. So we'll talk about them next time and a little bit more. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's, um, Let's meditate then. And um, again, finding a posture that where you can be upright and also relaxed. The posture for samadhi um, is something that, yes, you need to be able to maintain it, of course, for a fair amount of time. And yet, we don't want to be totally comfortable. Like if you're sitting in a chair, I recommend not leaning back against the back of the chair, but sitting forward um, on the front of the chair in a balanced way. If you're sitting on a cushion, um, don't lean against the wall, please. Um, so just um, finding a posture where you feel like your spine is uh, has some energy to it. And then gently closing your eyes, if that's okay for you. It is helpful in concentration practice to have the eyes closed because it reduces the input. 
However, if you need to have your eyes open, you would want to have them downcast at about 45 degrees and have the space that you're looking at be blank. So the, the blank carpet or floor in front of you, for example. And maybe taking a moment at the beginning of your sitting to really be sure that you're balanced in your posture. So one way to do that is to even rock back and forth slightly, just from left to right, and finding a place that's kind of in the middle, and then you can rock forward and back a little bit. Again, finding a place that feels like you're in the bottom of a bowl. And then um, softening the shoulders a bit, softening a little bit along the spine so that it settles into that but is still upright because if you have tension left in your body uh, you'll get uncomfortable so all of this instruction is not meant to make you make you tight at all <laughs> just allow yourself to to be gently upright and if you're practicing at home between the sessions it is good to have the door closed and um, not have a bright light on your face, these kind of basic things. You don't need to be in darkness. So that can sometimes induce sleep. But just uh, softening the space around you. And the most usual object that we would start with for basic concentration is the breath. And that's one reason for that is that it works for all mind types, according to the teachings. So it doesn't matter if you're more of an anger type or a desire type or a sleepy type, um, speculative philosophy type, it's all fine. The breath will work for everybody. If you've had something like a, an experience with asthma or with drowning such that the breath might not work for you you can use body sensations but if that's not the case i would encourage everyone to try the breath for this session so then gently turning the attention toward the sensations of breathing it's already happening so you just tune in to that channel And having that sense of non-conflict with the breath. So as it comes in, softening so that we're not introducing any tension with the breath. And as it goes out, also softening without collapsing the body. So that we're not holding on to the breath. Having kind of a friendly feeling toward the body, breathing. And then to bring in some mental clarity, we notice 
the length of the breath, the length of the in-breath. And all you have to know is whether it's generally long or generally short. And on the out-breath, is it generally long or generally short? They might be the same, they might be different. Maybe as the breath comes in through the nostrils, taking that opportunity to soften the face, the eyes, even releasing a little bit inside the skull, imagining softening the thinking muscle. We don't need to stop our thoughts or suppress them or be irritated that they're coming. Mostly we just put our attention onto the breath. And it can help to identify a spot in the cycle of the breath, in the breath, where it feels particularly clear that we feel the breath. Maybe it's in the nostrils or in the throat or in the belly, expanding and contracting. Just find a spot where the breath feels particularly comfortable, clear, and kind of put the mind there and follow the in-breath and the out-breath as it moves through that spot. It could be pretty bigger, broader, smaller. Size isn't so important. And as you rest the mind gently on that spot, you can continue to feel into other parts of the body. So you still hold the attention on that same spot, but just soften or blur it out so that you can feel other parts of the body and let those gently release or relax using the breath like a massage inside the body. And if there are parts that aren't so much at ease, that's okay. Just keep massaging gently without any expectations for them or demands.
And when the mind naturally wanders away, as it will, in concentration practice, we simply drop whatever it was and just move right back to the breath. There's no analysis of what that was or feeling into it. It's a gentle coming back, not like jerking a dog on a leash or something, just reopening to the breath, our spot, and softening the body again. Sometimes I think of putting the breath on the front burner and letting any other lingering body experiences or thoughts just be more on the back burner emphasizing the sensations of the breath. As we settle in more to the concentration, we can begin to notice the energy level of the mind. If it seems a little high, distracted or buzzing a bit, moving, we can soften a little bit the focus, sometimes giving a restless dog, a bigger pasture to run in, 
can help. So broadening the attention to the whole body, for example, without leaving the concept of the breath. So just feeling the breath in a bigger space. Or if the mind is getting dull, we might need to sharpen up the attention a bit, get a little clearer about that spot where it feels the strongest. And also remembering to smile internally because the mind is just how it is. So just enjoying the process of being with the breath, being with the mind, feeling the breath, massaging the body. If, as we continue to sit, we start noticing any feelings of ease or tranquility or even some gentle joy or happiness, we can incline the mind toward these, emphasize them, let them too spread through the body. We've been trained in mindfulness practice as a neutral observer. This is different. In Samadhi, we can make choices toward ease, relaxation, tranquility, joy. Letting those gently grow. like we're protecting a little flame or a little plant, gathering ourselves around these 
wholesome feelings. And continuing to rest with the sensations of the breath coming in, going out. Samadhi is supported by continuity of mindfulness. So we can stay with the breath through the whole duration of the in-breath, whole duration of the out-breath. Like stroking a cat from head to tail Stroke, stroke. Takes a light touch to stroke a cat nicely. Sometimes the cat will purr.
cultivating concentration is a lot about balancing the mind. And the mind is not static. So over the course of a sitting, things will change. So we need to keep balancing. So maybe again, checking the energy level, checking if there's tension developing in the body, softening that. Checking for the presence of wholesome mind states. All of this can give some confidence that concentration is beginning. And sometimes samadhi is supported by actually literally just putting a little smile on the face, very slight. Bringing a little of that uplift to the heart.
Okay, so I'm curious if anyone has any uh, questions at this point as you gently return to Earth um, about working with Samadhi. Mostly you'll find the first time you kind of try to do it consciously. I don't know if it's for many of you, it's probably not the first, but uh, is that you'll find out what your favorite hindrances are. <laughs> um, and that's very natural. But I wonder if any questions have, uh, have arisen. Yeah, Helen. Thank you. Thank you for this. Um, the Samadhi practice, this is what happened in my experience. And is this not Samadhi or is this a part of Samadhi? So what happened was um, I would just notice, you know, my breath would just be changing long, short, 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 long, short, long, long, short, it would be changing. And that's fine. I don't have I just was with that. But then the pleasure places would also change. It started first, the pleasure place was here, and then it moved down, and then it moved down, and it moved down, down to, to I didn't get to my, my Dantian, but got to my upper belly. And I was just with that. And so I'm just curious about that in terms of the pure samadhi um, protocols. Yeah, so Samadhi would use an unchanging, I was teaching it as an unchanging object. So uh, and the breath was unchanging, but where it was, was changing. Yeah, so. so to cultivate, to generate the mind state called Samadhi, um, it's easiest to find one spot. And then once you've chosen that, to stay with that. Okay. And then the pleasure that arises, of course, there's pleasure in the body, and that's good. But then you move on to finding pleasure in the mind that's where the this wholesome pleasure that is not to be feared is found and so it's a little bit of a delicate balance some teachers will teach you know that you try to move off the body as soon as possible and get into the mind others will teach that you have to use the body almost the whole time i tend to think that the body is pretty important in the early start to samadhi but that uh, to cultivate the stillness we would stay with one spot one spot and one length? Oh, the breath will change in length. In fact, it should generally shorten. Yeah. Um, okay. The breath of samadhi, the breath stops in the fourth jhana. So where the breath is getting lighter and shorter, um, but you don't, you can't make it shorter, <laughs> but you will notice um, that it, you're, you're moving towards samadhi when the breath becomes shorter, lighter, um, gentler. Sometimes you can, you're not sure you can feel it. And that means that your mindfulness is not deep enough yet. Mm -hmm. so mindfulness Thank you. Is there, is there a preferable place? Nope. Not in the way I teach it. There are teachers who will say that. Evie. So I don't know if, how is it different from Adjusted, how is it different from, like I was really relaxed and really focused. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I'm not sure how it was really different from other times when I've been in, I'm meditating very relaxed and focused. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure, I guess, what is Samadhi? <laughs> well, it's an experience. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not taking your question lightly. It's, um, Samadhi and mindfulness or Samadhi and insight, um, can be cultivated individually. They are different kind of directions for the mind, but they also come together. You know, as I said earlier, I don't think you could be in concentration without strong mindfulness. So, um, and of course, mindfulness and insight practice are not quite the same. So teachers will try to sometimes get really specific and say, you have to do go on just on this track and not be on this track. I don't worry too much about the tracks. If the mind is um, becoming more still, more stable, um, more happy, those are kind of three important components, then samadhi as a mind state is coming, even if there's also other mind states happening. Jhana is a very specific experience. That one is very much, much clearer, but Samadhis can be cultivated right along with all the other things that we've cultivated through basic mindfulness practice. So I may have been cultivating it before without realizing that that's what I was doing it. Absolutely. Sometimes. I mean, it's different. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then that follow makes the sense. 16 steps of Anapanasati, of breath meditation. I've done a lot of work with that practice. I find that Samadhi and mindfulness uh, raise up together in that practice. They end up kind of interweaving. You can enter jhana sometimes or not other times, um, but those 16 steps will bring about both of those. Um, I have been practicing meditation without a lot of context um, around it. <laughs> and so I don't have a lot of the language or recognition of what it is that I'm doing or what I'm, what I've cultivated or what have you, but I recognize a difference in my mental state um, consistently. And one of the things I noticed during this meditation and also, often also during the 45 minutes it's at lunchtime is that um, I sort of have this bell curve uh, within the meditation where I will start um, pretty agitated and then I will reach a, a peak of um, stillness mm -hmm. and then it will gradually return back to the agitated state and um, you know I'll, I'll it, it's, it's often when I sort of begin to get used to a given length of a meditation, like, like at the 45 minute lunch ones, you know, <laughs> like, oh, are we done yet? <laughs> and then my mind will begin to go off. Or for example, for this, there's something, I reach a point of stillness and then there is something that distracts me. And then I have a hard time getting back to that place that I was just at. <laughs> Yeah, so there's something in your mind that um, uh, is allowing itself to be distracted. So if mm -hmm. you can get to stillness and then you lose it, um, 
something in your mind doesn't quite value that stillness and is willing to mm. go off of it. So you might not know what that part is yet. That's kind of um, uh, subverting <laughs> your your meditation because it's it's totally fine to stay. You know, you can make excuses like, oh, I need to get back to a regular mind state. Uh, the mind is very flexible. You know, you could be quite concentrated all the way up to 40 minutes in the meditation and six minutes later when you get out at the end of 45 you'll be fine so it's um so that might be an interesting point if you're consistently you've seen that experience uh you could bring in more mindfulness at that point where you feel like you're getting still um bring in more mindfulness and see what's happening there there are mind states by the way that are still um but are actually dull and we feel like we're so relaxed and we might say oh i'm so concentrated but actually it's just kind of gauzy cottony you know it's pleasant it's also called sloth and torpor <laughs> it's a sinking mind kind of feeling it's pleasant and so we like it and so we rest in it and we think oh this is great I'm, i feel so nice in meditation but you can't say anything about what's happening in your mind or your body at that time so there's not much mindfulness remember that mindfulness is a support for concentration so if we get too dull the samadhi will fall away and we'll be left just with kind of blankness or something it's very common um uh, don't worry about it all these problems that happen we'll probably end up talking about a lot of problems in this class and and we should because you know we're called you have to have these things to um, learn where you're going but um don't worry about it too much. You know, when I go on retreat, I've done a lot of practice, but when I go on retreat, I have a day where I go, I have to, maybe it's half a day where I have sinking mind as I get concentrated. I don't know, it's just something, I still haven't managed to overcome it, but I don't worry about it. And it's gone in two hours or three hours. So, you know, we have our favorite hindrances, um, but I have a lot of confidence because I've gone through that many times and I know what's on the other side and I know it will come. Um, so you just have to build up that uh, understanding for your own mind, what, what it's going to be for you. So I want to be sure that we honor the time. It is getting um, close to the end. So I just want to make the suggestion that you can practice this over the next week. Um, I would invite you to. This was recorded. If you want to figure out where the point on the recording is that the guided meditation starts, you could do that. I'll post it um, soon on the ISC website um, dharma talks link and um which is under resources by the way on the main page if you go to resources that's where the dharma talks can be found um so try the breath sit down remember you need ease of mind and body get balanced tune into the breath find where it's sharpest clearest and then Gather the mind around that as best you can. Helen. And I also saw Real quick. Yeah, yeah, real 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 quick. I'm just wondering. My proclivity that is like to focus on the exhale. Is that not sharp enough? Should it be you like a continuous, spot? You need continuity of mindfulness. So you'll need both the in-breath and the out-breath, continuous mindfulness through, completely through. So it's either a spot where it's going in or the continuous in out. Is that you find saying? a spot and feel the, the breath going back and forth. There's even an analogy in the suttas of a saw. You just put your point uh, in your breath where the 
saw is touching the and wood. And then you watch. Thank you. <laughs> you can helpful. still feel it going by. That's but, helpful. Yeah. yeah. And then I saw something in the chat about um, pleasure in mind. Oh, okay. This came only to me. Did you want me to answer that publicly or not? Yeah. Okay. So the question is, what does it mean to find pleasure in the mind? So this is worth exploring. Um, there's pleasure that's coming through the bodily sensation and pleasure that's coming in the mind, um, which I maybe should point at the heart for. Only in the West do we point at the head. <laughs> um, so um, they're different. They have different feelings. Um, this is a part of the second foundation of mindfulness, where to distinguish feelings that are called worldly or of the flesh from feelings that are spiritual or unworldly, I think is what Bhikkhu Bodhi says. You can, it's not the best word. Uh, you'll have to find out what it means for you. But um, that's a big difference. That's the most important difference in the second foundation of mindfulness. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, okay. But worldly, unworldly, that makes a difference. Because it's the worldly ones that, that, if we're not mindful of them, will lead to um, stoking of greed and hatred um, and delusion. If you're mindful, don't worry. It's no problem. Um, but it's the unworldly ones that don't feed those roots in the heart. So those are always okay to have. So there's, yeah, things like the joy, the tranquility, also the Brahma Viharas are um, wholesome, pleasant states. Okay, there's so much to say. We'll get to talk again in a week. Um, have a wonderful week of practice, and I wish you wonderful, blissful samadhi. Be well. Take care. Kim, can I ask you a question? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.